We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that there is no God but one. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 4. Good morning. Yeah, now my light's on. Okay, awesome. My name is Josh Dallendorf. I'm the Generations Pastor here. And as we are getting started with the day, you'll see some people walking down the rows. We're going to participate in communion later. So if you need the elements, just pop a hand in the air and just see them walking by. Grab one of those. You will need those for later on. If you're joining us online, make sure you have anything. If it's bread, cracker, juice, water, whatever you have, but we will have those elements later. It is a good day to worship together. Amen? Amen. I, uh, I'll be real honest. Like, I almost didn't want to get up here. I just want to listen to Amante, whether he taught or sang or just vibed. Like, anything is fine. He was just, the Spirit was moving through him in such amazing ways. And we get to worship with him more later. But right now, as we prepare for the teaching, we get to dive into the book of Corinthians. We've been taking this summer, focusing on, right now, 1 Corinthians, then going into 2 Corinthians a little later on, and looking at big themes that are going on in the church of Corinth. Funny enough, you'd think, oh, these are, these are some big issues. Yeah, we have to address those in Corinth. We can still relate today because some of these things are still going on in the life of the church. So Paul is not just speaking to that context of the church of Corinth, we can still find truth in his word today. A little bit about Corinth. It was a port city, so there was a lot of people coming in and out through travel, would trade everything going on there. It was also a very immoral city, a lot of sin, a lot of things going on, a lot of different gods, a lot of different temples. But Paul says, that's where I need to go. The harvest is ready. So he stays there for a year and a half, builds up a church, goes elsewhere, starts planting other churches. But then here's word about the problems going on in the church of Corinth. So he writes these letters to help them, to figure out what they need, to coach them through what's next. And as we look today, uh, last week we talked about sin with Chandler, and he brought it last week in that topic, but we're going to take it one step further. And if you thought talking about sin was fun, today we're going to talk about idols and idolatry. Before we dive into that, I want to ask you a question. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you were 100% in, committed, sold out for something or someone only to be disappointed at the very end. Maybe, if you haven't, you've never filled out a March Madness bracket. Otherwise, maybe it was a relationship for you. Maybe there was a, a person in your life, maybe like what Amante was saying earlier, there was just someone in your life where you were all in, sold out on that relationship. You were who they said you were. You were consumed. You loved that honeymoon phase. You tried to keep it as long as you can. You got to know them. Their interests became your interests. Their friends became your friends. You start cutting people out. But then you realize that you were so invested and maybe they just weren't as invested as you were. And then it ends and you don't know what to do next. Maybe for you, it was your job where you graduate college and, and you, you get into the, the job that you love. You start working and grinding. You start getting promotions. You start getting paid. 
and other families around you, they're, they're starting to happen. Your friends start getting married and settling down and you just push and push and push. But then last year, COVID happens and you lose your job and you realize that all of your worth, all of your security, all of your passions were in this and you don't know what to do now. These were real conversations that I've had over the past year with real people who have committed to something, who put everything into it only to be disappointed at the very end because their passions, their hope, their worth was found in the wrong thing. If you have ever felt that before in your life, this passage in 1 Corinthians is for you today. So we're going to turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have your Bible, follow along there. If you're in the room, you need one. We've got some in the back. Take it, write in it, make it yours, or you can follow along on the screens. But before we read God's word today, one more time, let's just go to him in prayer. God, this is your house. Lord, we are your people. And right now, in this moment, we just say, speak. Your servants are listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians 8. The chapter is only 13 verses long, a little bit of light reading. I'm only going to focus on the first eight verses, but here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says this. Now regarding your questions about food that has been offered to idols, yes, we know that we have all knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Amen. Anyone who claims to know the answers doesn't really know much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we know that an idol is not really God and that there is only one God. There might be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, and some people might actually worship many gods and lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is only one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So, when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship to real gods. And they are weakened in consciousness and they're violated. It is true that when we can't win God's approval by what we eat, we don't lose anything if we don't eat it, but we don't gain anything when we do. Now, when we look at this passage, there is a lot to it. We're gonna do a micro zoom in look in the beginning and then zoom out. But Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that has questions. Now, we don't actually see a list of the questions that they ask. But when we look at verse one, it says, now on to your question about this. So the question has already been asked and whether that was like rumblings that was going on when, when Paul got word of what was going on in the church, maybe he heard that this was one of the issues that they had. Maybe someone had told them, Paul, what do we do when it comes to food sacrifice to idols? But Paul wants to share his thoughts on this. And he uh, takes the book of 1 Corinthians and he goes through a few big topics to talk about some big sins in the church. The first one he goes through is, is all about sexual immorality, sexual sins. And now he's looking at some food things, some purity things. And you might be thinking, how does this 
how does it relate to me? Like, I don't have to worry about this. Like when you go to the butcher, you don't go and, uh, and say, hey, I need two pounds of ground beef. And the butcher is going to ask you, do you want that sacrificed or unsacrificed? And if you do, you need to go to a different butcher. But this is not a topic that on paper we can relate to. But Corinth knew so much about idols. We said that there were many different idols. There were many different temples. Poseidon, Apollo, Dionysus, all of these gods had temples in Corinth. So there were many different people worshiping. But now there was this budding faith community. These people that heard about Jesus, that had their life changed by Jesus, and now said, how do I live for him? What do I need to do to follow him better? But the problem was there were idols that were built up that were already established. And even though they were, they were down, they still just weren't sure what it meant to fully live for Jesus. And sometimes they found themselves falling in old habits. And we see that throughout the book of 1 Corinthians. So how does this apply to you? Well, if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I go to church. I'm good. I know the worship songs. I'm singing along. Yes, those might be true. You might be worshiping God in voice. But are we worshiping God in our lives, in our actions? Today, we are going to focus on worship. You can't talk about idols. You can't talk about God without talking about worship because all of us worship. Every single person worships. We were made to worship. We were created to worship. In fact, God created us to worship him. But after the fall, our worship became misguided. We chose ourselves, we focused on what we wanted, and now we have a choice of who we worship. Adam and Eve chose to worship knowledge, what they wanted. So the question now is, who do you worship? Do you worship God, or do you worship something else? And if the answer is anything else, you're worshiping an idol. We're not going to make an extensive list of saying, this is an idol, this is an idol, this is an idol, because when you do that, you get legalistic. Then you forget about things. Things that might sound good or look good on paper can really end up becoming idols in the wrong context. So what we are saying, the definition of an idol is when you take a good thing, something that God created to be good, and you make it into a God thing. When you take something good and you make it into a God, that is what an idol is. So we don't have to list everything off because we'll be here for days just to do that. But in your heart, I want you to think about that. An idol is a substitute for God. Something you put on the throne of your life that replaces God's rightful spot. Now, these aren't necessarily bad things, even. When we talk about idols, like in, in Old Testament, even, even now in Corinth, it's not like different actual gods. Sometimes idols in our lives look different. It could be anything that we put on the throne. And it doesn't even have to be a bad thing. Sometimes it can be good or right in the right context. Think of like the big three. When you talk about power, when you talk about sex, when you talk about money, these are things that can be really great in the right context, in the way that scripture reads them, in the way that God intended them for, they can be amazing things. But taken too far, taken out of context, taken in a selfish perspective, they become idols. When we make them way important in our life than they actually are, than the way that God intended them to be, they become idols. We forget that they are created by God and we replace them with God. 
If we look back at the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 20, we see that God gives his people commandments. That God chooses the Israelites to be his chosen nation, to have a covenant, to have a promise with them to say, hey, I'm your God, you are my people. I will bless you, I will protect you, you can follow me, follow these rules. And it wasn't to limit the people. It was to say, these rules will set you apart from every other nation to show you that you are mine. And in Exodus chapter 20, verses one through six, it says this. Then God gave the people these instructions. I am the Lord, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt and the place of your slavery. You must not worship any other God but me. You must not have any idols of any kind or any image of anything that is in heaven and on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down before them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God and I will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I will lay the sins of the parents upon their children and the entire family is affected. Even the children in the third and fourth generations to those who reject me. But I will lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations to those who follow and obey my commandments. God establishes his covenant with his people and says, I will bless you. If you follow me, I will bless you. These aren't the 10 suggestions. These are the 10 commandments that he gives his people. And he says, this is what you need to do. No other gods, nothing, no one, no thing, nothing in the earth, heaven, sea, sky, wherever. Like you can't get around this and say, well, maybe if I pick one here, no, God covers everything to say nothing before me, nothing. And because of that, God says, hey, look, if you don't know why you should trust me, guess what? Well, I'm the one who actually set you free from your slavery. So the one who got you out of Egypt, the land of slavery, yeah, that was me. And this is why you can follow me. You can trust me. I want to give you freedom. But when we put things before God, even though we think they make us free, funny enough, those are the things that actually enslave us. When we think we go to something else for freedom, those are the things that can bring slavery and chains and bondage. And those are the things that we worship, that we give our time, our affection to. You see, we're all worshiping, but if we don't worship God, we worship an idol. And an idol receives misguided worship. An idol receives misguided worship. Worship that should be meant for God goes somewhere else. When we aren't worshiping God, when he's not on the throne, it means we've replaced him with an idol that, that is not on the right throne. So when we look back at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, Paul says this, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Knowledge makes us feel important, but love strengthens the church. How many of you, how many of you have ever heard, um, whether it was a parent or someone say, you should know better than that? A parent, a coach, you should know better. I feel like my mom said that to me all the time growing up. You should know better than that. Sometimes we know exactly what we need to do. We know everything that, that's right on paper. We know the right answers. We know the Sunday school answer is always Jesus. But when it comes to our hearts, what are we living? What are we reflecting? 
Some translations um, will say instead of uh, the, the knowledge will make us feel important, some say it, it puffs us up, like a balloon, how it puffs up. If you were to take one of those big punching balloons and deflate it, put it into like a glass jar, and then get an air compressor and start blowing it up, that jar is probably going to crack and break. Paul is trying to tell people this. Don't try to be smarter and have all the right answers. Your ego can become an idol and you can become selfish and putting yourself above others, putting yourself above God, that becomes an idol. But Paul is saying love strengthens the church. And if you jump down a few more verses to verse eight, it says this. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. But while we don't lose anything, while we eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do, Paul's trying to say here that this is not an idol issue. We're not talking about idols here. We are saying that this is a heart issue. That idols, they will steal the throne of your heart. This is not just about food. This isn't about anything like that. You can know all the facts and figures. You can know all of these things. But if it hasn't changed you inside, if God hasn't gotten a hold of your heart, and work from the inside out. It doesn't matter. Let's jump back to Exodus. And a few chapters later, uh, we were in chapter 20 before, now in, ver- in chapter 32, starting in verse 2, it says this. So Aaron said, Take gold rings from the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. All the people took their gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took them and melted them down and molded them into the shape of a calf. And when he, the people saw this, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The people got up early the next one. Oh, Aaron saw how excited these people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf, and then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festivity for the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, the one he established a covenant with, when Moses was gone, when he was talking with God in the presence of God, they were building an idol. They were replacing the one who set them free from Egypt, who set them free from slavery. And notice what they said there. Oh, this is the God that set us free. Something they created was the thing that they said set them free. And by trying to make a God to bring freedom, they set themselves deeper and deeper into bondage. So maybe in your life, it isn't praising a golden calf, but maybe you had a serious surgery and you were prescribed some prescription medication and, and it took, you took it and it helped you in that moment as you were trying to recover, but then... That prescription, it went on a little further and you didn't stop and you kept taking it because you liked the way it made you feel. And you kept taking it and that became a need for you because of the way that it created an emotion in you, a dependency in you. And because of that, it gets you in serious trouble. Or maybe in your life, there is a a struggle of loneliness where you just feel like you are always alone. So to fix that, you just put yourself in social situations or you put yourself around parties and and you just try to dive into shallow relationships just to try to fill a hole 
that can't be filled. So what happens when the idols in our lives are things that we don't even realize are idols? Well, that first situation that I talked about with the, with the pills, that was actually a buddy of mine in, in high school where he got injured in football and had surgery afterwards and was prescribed some, some medication. And unfortunately, the medication didn't stop after the recovery did. And he became dependent on those pills. And, and unfortunately, it led to a bad crash and he ended up going to jail because he was so dependent on that idol in his life. He didn't think about everything else. He focused on that one thing, on that one emotion. And idols can be so dangerous, especially when we don't realize that those things in our life are idols. But the best way to fix our idol problem is to break our idols. Because idols will destroy us if we don't destroy them. If you do not destroy idols, you will be destroyed. Think about this. Um, in your life, rarely do you say, oh, I'm tempted with something, but I'm just going to kind of keep it around there because I think I have willpower. That's like saying if you have alcohol problems, uh, you would you keep alcohol in your house, uh, you keep some beer in your fridge, and you open the door all the time. Like, I see it there, but I'm better than that. At some point, if something happens in your life, if it is right there, what is stopping you from going towards it? Why not just remove the problem? It's like when you, when you weed a garden, you try to get everything out so the weeds don't grow back in. Why don't you just pull it right out? And when we look at this original problem in the church of Corinth, they really are trying to grow in their faith. They really do want to follow God with everything that's in them. But let's just say that you are a Corinthian at this time. You were um, a follower of, of Dionysus. You worshiped at the temple. You brought sacrifices to Dionysus. That was who you prayed to, who you trusted in. But then this guy named Paul shows up in your town and talks about this guy named Jesus. And this Jesus can bring things that Dionysus can't. So you say, you know what? I want that. I want to follow this Jesus. So how do I do it? And, and Paul helps you for a little bit and you find a body of believers and you start working towards this. But every time you go to the marketplace, you're reminded of your past. You go to your butcher and your butcher still worships Dionysus. Maybe you even worshiped together. And you know that whenever you go there, there's going to be meat in front of you and you're like, oh, that looks so good, but I know this person. And I know that that meat was probably offered as a sacrifice to Dionysus. And not only that, he probably prayed over this meat to Dionysus. What do I do? You want to follow Jesus fully, but you're just not sure what it means because of your history. And when we jump to Exodus, we see what Moses' response was. When Moses comes back, we see what his response was to idolatry. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and they were dancing and he burned in anger. And he threw the stone tablets on the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and he burned it. And he ground it up into powder and he threw it in the water and he forced the people to drink it. Earlier we said that, that Moses was with the real God, but his people had made a false God, a cheap knockoff. And now he sees what is happening and he gets so fired up. He takes that idol. 
He burns it, he grounds it, he makes them drink it. And I still remember, I was probably about six, seven years old, sitting in Sunday school class, hearing the story for the first time and thinking, wow, why did they do that? Like one, that seems like a weird punishment, but two, why would you take that gold and not just like make it back in the earrings and give it back and say, sorry about that, we don't need it for an idol, here's your earring back. But then I think, well, what would stop them from doing it again? If Moses goes off somewhere else, what would stop the Israelites from doing it again? I was reading a commentary about this, just trying to figure out why this would happen. And yes, this was a form of punishment, but some uh, commentators would also say that this was Moses saying, this gold, this precious metal that is so valuable, if you drink it and ingest it, when it comes back out, it doesn't have the same value. It's not as valuable at all. So Moses is saying that what you thought had value, what was your God, is definitely not your God anymore. Sometimes you just need to break your idols. In the kingdom of my life, I've got a lot of thrones. On some sit my family, my job, my home. The things I've accomplished, the ways I have fun, the vices I give into, what I dream to become, how I view myself and how others view me, social media, video games, what I watch on TV, my car, my favorite sports team, money, physical affection. These are all things that command my attention. They say you are what you love, but it's more like you are what you worship. You might say worship God, but does your time really reflect it? Because what you give your time to, what calls for your devotion, might be surprising to you when you add up all the ways you spend each moment. Now the question in all of this is where does God sit? We are all idol factories. We put the created above the creator and then wonder why all these things continuously go wrong in our lives. When a relationship is on the throne, we are crushed when they leave. Or when we think just a little more money will solve all of our needs. We self-medicate with food and drinks and when our lives fall apart and try to put a band-aid over a God-sized hole in our heart. When we put ourselves on the throne, it might be fun for a bit, but nothing can sustain us when we use God replacements. You see, the problem is what I said first, that we run the kingdom. But with all these thrones fighting for our heart, we forget about the one who is greater than anything trying to steal his rightful seat, the only one who made everything just when he speaks. And with his breath alone, he breathed life into dead bodies. So why do we think things can replace the king and make us happy? It's not what sits on the throne of your life. But who? You must break your idols because idols break you. When you struggle with idols, some things that were actually originally intended to be good, but they become an idol in your life. They bind you sometimes without even realizing it. What do you do? How do you become free? Our God brings freedom from idols. Our God brings freedom from idols. 
So my son is two years old. He's got this little, um, this little basket with a lid on top and there's a whole bunch of different cutouts. There's a circle, there's a triangle, there's a square. He does a great job of putting the circle one in the circle. He does a great job of putting the square in the square. Sometimes he mixes up the triangle and the star. We're still working on that. But he tries to take that star and he'll try to jam it into the triangle hole and it doesn't fit. No matter how many ways he turns it, there's just too many points. It's not gonna go in. In our lives, we all have a God-sized hole in our hearts. And sometimes we take uh, porn. Sometimes we'll take money. We'll take all of these different things. Uh, we'll take overindulging. We'll take different things that we think, well, maybe I'll just try to make that fill the hole in my heart because it's there. It hurts. What do I do? And we grab what we can and we just try and try and try. And no matter how many times we try, it might feel good for a little bit, but nothing sustains us. The lyrics say we, we have that God-sized hole in our hearts and we'll use idols to replace it, but nothing fills it. Nothing, none of those wrong-shaped blocks will fit that right-shaped hole that God can fill. Paul says this, so what about eating meats offered to idols? Well, we know that an idol is not really a God. There is only one God. There is only one God. There are many, there may be many so-called gods in both heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods, but for us, there is one God the Father by whom all things were created and by whom we have life. And there is only one Lord Jesus Christ by all things were created and through whom we have life. So the question that was asked in the beginning, what do we do with meat sacrificed to idols? Paul's trying to say this, that meat, guess what? Originally that came from a cow that God created. The meat is God's. Sometimes we, we say, well, well, God, you get 10% of my money, but, but I get 90%. Guess what? All that other money, the 90% too, that's God's as well. Like all of these things that we try to say, well, well, I don't know about this. No, it is all God's. Paul is saying everything is God's. But when we try to take these things and hold on to them on our own, we make them idols. Paul's saying the only way that you can be released of that is to say, no, our God is the God of these things. You put God on the throne, not these things. And watch how these things will bring joy, will bring life, will bring freedom. I think it's appropriate that we're talking about this on 4th of July when we talk about the freedoms that we have, but it pales in comparison to the freedom that we have in Christ when we put him on the throne and see how everything else in our life falls into place. The way that we want to, to grow in our family life, the way that we want to, to see ourselves, the way that we do live our jobs, our work environments, everything like that. When we put God on the throne and not these things, watch how God will put things in place for the good of those who love him. Not to build up our knowledge or ourselves, but to build up his church. Maybe in your life, you are still being held down by the bonds and the slave of an idol. Maybe in your life, there, there's a problem like gambling or an addiction that you just, you go to because it is just familiar. It's a habit and it's comfortable. But God is saying, no, I have freedom, not those things. 
Maybe like we said earlier, there's a, there's a loneliness, there's a hole because you haven't found someone to fill it. And you look for people, you look for shallow situations, you look for whatever you can to fill that hole when really only God can fill it. And then watch what happens when you say yes to him and see who he can bring into your life. If you need to experience freedom today for the very first time, uh, you can text LIFE to 616-344-4525. We would love to have a conversation with you just what it means to say yes to Jesus and yes to the freedom that only he can bring. But one way that we can experience freedom in him is through going to the table of the Lord. Because everything that we've talked about today, all those idols, none of them died for you. But our Lord is the one who brings true freedom and true life. So as we go to the Lord's table, we remember when Jesus gathered with his disciples and, and he took a loaf of bread and, and before them, he broke it. And when he did, he said, this is a sign of my body that will be broken for you. When you eat of it, do it and remember me. Likewise, he took the cup and he said, this is a sign of my blood that will be spilled for the forgiveness of sins. And when you drink of it, do it and remember me. If you're participating with us here at Livestream, you should have received one of these little cups. If you follow Jesus, participate with us today. All you have to do is just take the two tabs. The bread is the top one, the, the juice is the bottom. If you're joining with us online, make sure you have something to participate in this moment with. But as a body of believers, let us pray and go to the Lord and thank him. God, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you that you laid your life down. Not the money that we have, not the power that we want, nothing in our life could do what you alone did. And Lord, as we go to your table in communion, we thank you so much for the forgiveness that you give. Lord, we ask that you consecrate these elements, give them the spiritual benefit of you in us when we partake in this bread and the cup. Lord, may we remember your sacrifice. God, you and you alone, may we keep you on the throne. In your name we pray, amen.